Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Good morning, Lifehouse family. We're in part three of our Christmas playlist series. Well, we are taking Christmas songs and talking about what would God say to us. Hopefully this series has been somewhat beneficial to you. You can go on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud and check out the past couple weeks. If you have not been here, you can go and check out the podcast there. That would be awesome. So go tell it over the hills. Go. The Jesus Christ. I tell you what, is there anything more scary than telling someone about Jesus? I tell you what, man, like I remember growing up, you know, in church when I got saved about 15, 16 years old, man. There was nothing scarier than when somebody said, we're going to go and do evangelism. It was just like, oh, Lord. Right? Like you just, you just, you just, you know, it's like, oh, I got something going on that day. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, we, you know, we, we, uh, I, I got kids. What? You got no kids. But it was like, we, you know, like people would do whatever they had to do to try to get out of try, of going and telling people about, about Jesus, telling people about the gospel. And I really think it's because um, maybe you've seen it where it's like telling people about Jesus can almost be like real sales pitchy. You know, maybe many of you have seen, like I remember one time I was at Walmart buying bread and I was literally in the bread aisle and this sweet lady walked up to, up to me and she said, hello, sir, if you died right now, do you know where you would spend eternity? <laughs> and I'm like, are you going to kill me? <laughs> Am I going to go see Jesus now? Like, are you going to murder me? Like, I had no clue, right? So when I was back in Bible college, um, we went up to um, northern, like northern Virginia, Fairfax area, and um, you know they they were kind of doing doing this revival night thing. So basically, they told us college kids, hey, you're going to go out and you're going to tell people about the revival and tell them about Jesus and you're going to go door to door. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, I got to do this because I'm in this Bible college, you know. But so, so, so then the, what they do is, is they gave me light bulbs and they said, hey, look, what you're going to do is you're going to knock on these, on these people's doors and you're going to hand them a light bulb and then you're going to tell them Jesus is the light of the world. And that's going to be your conversation starter. And it was in this like really affluent area in upstate Fairfax or, or, or you know, in Fairfax. So we're going to like two, three million dollar homes with light bulbs. And I'll be straight up honest with you. Like I'm walking up to these people's doors and I'm like praying, God, please let there be no one home. God, please let there be no one home. Like, God, please let there be no one home. <laughs> you know, and thankfully 90% of the people were not home. But then the other 10%, they were like, I got light bulbs, bro, thanks. Or, or you know, they were like, oh, what are you trying to tell me? But it, it just was like really sales pitchy and, and real like just salesman-ish, right? Have you ever had that happen to you? You know, but at the same time, yes, it can feel that way. But at the same time, though, I almost respect those, those people who are 
a part of what we would call cults. Mormonism, God the Mother, you ever had them? Target, my wife, like five times. Like, they love her. They always go to her. And they kind of start off, you know, and then God the Mother, if there's God the Father, there's got to be God the Mother. When I talked to him one time at Patrick Henry Mall, I was like, y'all trying to get people to accept God the Mother? I was like, people already got a tough time accepting God the Father. Now you're trying to throw in the mother. Really? And then they were like, you know, joking with me and stuff like that. But, you know, look, I don't really agree with what they're selling, but I affirm their boldness. That they'd have enough courage to go up to strangers and try to have a conversation with them about what, uh, about what they believe. And honestly, I think more Christians need the kind of boldness that they have, but at the same time, we need to really examine how do we tell? Go tell it on, like, go tell people. How, how do we tell in this culture that we're in? How do we tell people about Jesus? How do we become good tellers? John chapter 4. I'm going to talk to us today about a story that you might say, where are we going with this? But just trust me, we're going somewhere with it about how we can be good tellers. Turn, someone, turn to somebody and, and say, today, you're going to become a good teller. Now turn to your second choice and tell them, today, you're going to become a good teller. Also say, just because you're my second choice doesn't mean I don't love you. <laughs> John chapter 4, right? We, we've got this story here where Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman, which if you know anything about the Bible, Jews and Samaritans were not kosher. They did not like each other at all. But one thing about Jesus, Jesus was not scared to go into sketchy places and talk to sketchy people about his message. Jesus was not scared. Jesus actually routinely did that and so many times his disciples were like Jesus I, we're, we're going where we're going here and Jesus was like yeah because Jesus did not come just just to save righteous people he came to save unrighteous people he said that is why I am on this this planet is not to save healthy people I came to save sick people so Jesus wasn't scared to go into sketchy places to reach sketchy People. And what we're going to see is Jesus doing exactly that. John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. If you've been in church, you know this. But it says, now he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus said, we've got to go through this pagan area. Right? So then it says, so he came down to in Samaria to a town called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, um, excuse me, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Guarantee that's how she said it. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John throws in here this little detail. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Like John is, is saying, I, wanted, I, just, I just want to throw this detail in there to let you know one more time how much animosity there was between Jews and Samaritans. So much so, the Jews did not even want to 
go there. They thought Samaritans were like these kind of half-breed dogs that they just did not want in their company. Jews did not want to even be associated with them. Why? Because associating with them would seem like you are condoning them or for them. So they just said, don't even associate with those people. But we saw Jesus break many social customs to reach people. And the bottom line is this. If we're going to reach people in this culture, there are going to be church customs that we're going to have to break through to reach people's souls. Okay? Just saying. Jesus answered her, look. So Jesus here, ask her for water. It's like, do you know who I am? I'm a woman, and I'm from Samaria. You're talking to me. Jesus answered her, look, if you knew who the gift of God, who was it was to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have no bucket. <laughs> I can see her kind of saying right now, okay, you're getting a little cocky with me, huh? Well, you ain't got no bucket. You ain't got nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our, then she turns to spiritual. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus turns it from, from it being a physical need to it being a spiritual need. Jesus says, yeah, I know you're here drawing, drawing water and you're thirsty, but the real thirst isn't in your physical part, it's in your spiritual part. It's in your soul. Jesus said, or excuse me, in verse 15, it says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she thought he was literally talking like some special Gatorade water or something like that that she could get and drink and it would like quench her thirst for like a long time. But then he told her, hey, go and get your husband and come back. I ain't got no husband, Jesus. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five. Mm-mm. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is just quite true. She just, like Jesus just read her mail. You've had, she's had five husbands, y'all. So this has gone from this relationship didn't work to wherever you go, there you are. I don't think the problem was the guy she was with. The problem was the person that she was. She had created a pattern. She said, okay, this guy doesn't fit my need, so maybe the next guy will do it. Oh, that guy didn't work. Maybe the next guy will do it. Nope. That didn't work. Well, maybe the next guy will do it. Isn't it funny? We all have a next in our lives. We all have a next in our lives. Maybe if I get this job promotion, if I get this sort of bank account, if I get this sort of car, this sort of, I don't know, house, this sort of spouse, this sort of position, then I'll have the thirst in my soul satisfied. But what she found out, and what I'm sure you'll find out, there isn't any amount of physical satisfaction that will fill an eternal spiritual need in your soul. Come on, somebody. And you know that's true. Because the bottom line is this, the more you get, the more you want. Some of, some of you thought whenever you get that, you know, zeros on, on your bank account, you, you would be happy. 
Well, now you want even more zeros. Some of you thought when you got that beautiful spouse, oh, you're going to be happy now. And then you saw it's not just all looks. You got to actually spend time with that person. You got to actually get to know them. You, you got to actually like, you know, talk to them. But it's so true. Many of us are just like this woman. We can look at this woman and judge her from a distance, but this woman represents you and me. Looking for that next thing to fill an eternal need in our spirit. Jesus said this, though. Oh, oh no, then, then she gets all spiritual. Jesus calls her out, then she's like, oh, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. I've, I've had this happen to me so many times, right, where, you know what, I'll have guys cussing around me, like, hey, man, what you do? I'm a pastor. Oh. Oh. Well, God bless you, sir. So good to see you today. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm before and not beneath. Praise the Lord. I remember, I remember one time I was driving Uber, like probably about two and a half years ago. And I, and I had picked, you know, probably five guys up at, the, at this apartment. It was probably about midnight. And they were going over to Granby Street in, in Norfolk to some club. Picked, picked them up. They got in the car. They kind of already smelled like alcohol, you know, and they were all talking about what they're going to be drinking, the girls they're going to be doing stuff with later, and kind of all that stuff, and well, right, right as we got to the, to the tunnel, the guy in the front seat asked, so, bro, what do, you, what do you do, man? Is this all you do? It's like, nah, man, I'm pastor. <laughs> and he was like, yo, 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 y'all, y'all, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out, y'all, stop it, stop it. Hey, man, chill, chill in the back. You know, and then the guys, you know, he, you know, he starts telling me, oh, when I was at Virginia Tech, I was a part of a, a Christian fellowship there. And, and, and try to, to start telling me about all the stuff that he was doing. And then, no lie, the guy in the back seat puked all over himself. So we're driving in the, in the tunnel, and this guy, blah, goes and just pukes all over himself. I'm like, yo, we pulling over, dog. You know, I was like, you need to get that stuff off of you. You know, but, but, but it was like, it's, it's just funny. This girl does exactly what so many people do whenever they're around, oh, man, I got her or whatever. It's like, I'm just like, I'm a person. Like, if you want to cuss around me, cuss around me. I don't, I don't care. It's like, you're going to be judged for your own life. I'm not going to judge you, right? So, but at the same time, this woman got all spiritual on Jesus. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, yo, I speaking to you. I am he. So this woman went to the well to get a physical need met. But she met the answer to the deep need in her soul. And she met what her soul needed. We always try to think that physical needs are going to meet the deep-rooted deep need in your soul for purpose and a savior and, and for hope. But what we see here, Jesus did not, Jesus' greatest purpose meets your greatest need. 
you don't need another physical thing. Do you know what you need? You need a hope in your soul, a savior, an anchor for your soul that will give you hope, purpose, and life. And, but what is the most powerful thing? This woman had an encounter with God. I don't know about you, but when you have an encounter with God like that, I don't know about you, but I think you might go tell a few people. I think whenever Jesus left her and she went back to her hometown, I think there might be a, a little love. Yo, Jenny, I got to tell you about this guy. And tell, and then actually what we see 13 and 13 verses down in John chapter 4, verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, being Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. He didn't tell her everything. He told her something. But do you see here, many in that town believed because the woman could explain the book of Genesis. Many in that town believed because of the Romans' road to salvation. Many people believed because they could prove the archaeological findings in Israel were true. No. Many people believed because of the woman's testimony. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. Okay? You have a testimony. In other words, a testimony is you giving witness to what Jesus has done in your life. I don't care. See, this is what we like to do in church. We like to categorize testimonies. Right? We got the guy who shot people, murdered people, dealt, dealt drugs, was a meth addict, met Jesus, and his life was completely turned. And we like to prop that up and be like, man, God saved him. But you forget the fact of, look, if you are saved, it doesn't, we, see, we like to categorize, y'all. Don't, well, he was really far off. Me, I've just lied a few times. I went to Christian school. I ain't that bad. I mean, I might have cheated on my wife once, but I ain't kill nobody. That in the church, we're so good at categorizing sins, y'all. Aren't, aren't, aren't we? We like to categorize, well, this sin's worse than that sin. And, and, you know, it's like this sin gets a score of an eight on a scale of ten. This is like a two. And then what we do because that we categorize our testimony. And some of you think because you weren't a drug dealer, uh, someone that killed people, you weren't someone like that, that your testimony is invalid or it doesn't have power or it doesn't have purpose. And so you've actually taken one of your most powerful tools as a follower of Christ, your testimony, and thrown it out because you don't think it matters because you weren't a bad sinner. Let me break the ice to you. If you've sinned in any way, shape, or form, murderer, liar, whatever, Scripture says this, you break one, you break them all. So in God's category, there is not levels of sinners. For Scripture says all have sinned. All means, all is Greek for all. It's what the Greek means. It means all. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And because we, we all fall short, yes, sins have different consequences. Murder has a different physical consequence than lying, right? 
because when you kill someone, they're, they're gone. If you somewhat lie or cheat or steal from them, you can give them back what you have taken, but at the same time, you can't, you know, so there's a different physical consequence, yes, but there's the same spiritual consequence. Sin for the history of time, and what you see throughout Scripture, sin separates. Sin from Genesis 3, when Adam Eve decided to do their own thing and put their way above God's way. We see that sin for, the, for human history has separated us from God and us from each other. That is, that is what you see. So it doesn't matter how bad your sin was or how decent your sin was or even how, you know, you were that bad on the sin scale. With God, there's no two, four, six, eight. It's all bad. And, and why is this important? Because if you're going to have a testimony, you've got to understand and grasp what you've been saved from. Because I believe the reason why many of us don't have a passion to tell others about what Jesus has done is because we've lost sight of what we've been saved from. We lose our passion to tell when we lose sight of what we've been saved from. And where this creeps in the most is church people. Because I'm one. Because we can take the grace of God and make it ordinary. We can take the gospel, the mercy of Jesus Christ, and make it ordinary. And just make it, yeah, God forgives me, great, awesome, thanks God, check it, peace. When it's like we've got to make sure, as followers of Christ, that the gospel is fresh to us. The gospel is simply this, when, when you were doing your own thing, and I don't care if you were grandma's favorite, mom's favorite, whatever. If you were goody two-shoes, every teacher liked you, whatever. You've sinned mind, thought, action, deed, it all counts, it all matters. So look, the gospel is this, you did your own way, you were doing your own thing, and that's the definition of what sin is. You were over here and God was over here, because why? Sin, sin separates, but Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life that you could not live and died the death that you should have died on the cross in your place and for your sins and came into the gap that was between you and God and brought you together. Not because of your good works, but because of his good work. And now scripture calls us to do what? Put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So now look, we put our trust in him that we didn't earn it. Jesus earned it and gave it to us. So, so, so now the gospel is something that we receive instead of something that we do. The gospel is simply you receiving the good work of Jesus Christ for your sins and now you living from a new life in Christ that you did not earn on your own, but you were freely given. So now what happens is, is this. You've got, when you receive that by grace through faith, you now have, have a testimony of saying, I was far from God. Yeah, I didn't murder anybody. But you know what? I was still doing my own thing. And do you know what the crazy thing is? We can even still do good things for the wrong reasons. That's the crazy thing. He was like, I was a good person. Yeah, but you were doing it for prideful reasons. You were doing it so you could be noticed. You were doing it so, you could, so people could praise you, not praise God. That's why the heart matters. That's why motive matters. So, so now what do we tell? I was far from God. Jesus came and lived, and dude, that is historically proven. Jesus lived and died 
I put my faith and trust in him, and now I've got new life in Christ. You, you tell it, but I'm telling you, we lose the passion to tell that kind of stuff when we lose sight of what we've been saved from. Have you lost sight of what you've been saved from? When was the last time you told somebody about what Jesus has done in your life? Now look, I know this, that we can be really good at making excuses as to why we shouldn't be tellers. Right? Some of y'all say, well, John, you're the hired hand. That's why we pay you, buddy. That's why the church pays your salary. Put a little something-something in the offering basket. You go tell. You be the teller. You're the hired teller. You just do your thing, John. Keep on You're doing a great job. I'll bring them, you tell them. Right? We can think, though, that I, you know, well, that, you know what? Evangelism is just a department in the church. And only those that have that gift are called to it. Y'all, telling other people about what Jesus has done in your life is not a calling. And the church will lose its vigor and passion if we put evangelism, as if we put telling other people about what Jesus has done in our lives as a department in the church and not as a part of everybody in the church doing what God has told them to do. In the same way, like, you know, oh, God's not calling me. He's not, we, we use that like, that's such a church excuse. I'm not called to pick up trash. It's not my spiritual gift. Nope. I'm not called to pick up a chair. Not called to serve coffee. Like, like this is all, it's like, we, we like to throw that word calling around, right? I'm not called to that. I'm not called to that. When, really, okay, I get it. But at the same time, there are a lot of things that might not be your vocation, but are still your calling. Jesus said to go and do what? Make disciples that make disciples that make disciples but we think that that is the pastor's job. When we actually lose in Ephesians 4, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. My job is to be like a physical trainer that kind of says, hey, look, do Tim Jekyll Judge's thing, and you get all right. It's like I'm, I'm not the hired gun. I'm the hired trainer to help you and empower you and inspire you to go out into your communities, neighborhoods, and families and make a difference and be tellers to where you are. Not just about the hired hand telling everybody. And, and, and I'm telling you, when people lose the responsibility to tell, the gospel spoils. The gospel spoils. Why? Because we, are, we aren't telling people about the most important thing in our lives. But also, too, I think some people struggle because like, I don't know everything ab- about the Bible. Like some people really want to tell the people, but then they're like, I can't defend the book of Genesis. Science says, or, you know, the Bible says that it took seven days to make creation. Science said it didn't. What do I do? And you're going to have people throwing stuff out, out there. Oh, the Bible's a load of junk. The Bible, you know, is just a bunch of human beings that were writing it for selfish purposes just to control the masses. And, the, you know, religion is just something made up by men for emotionally disturbed people that needed a crutch. I've heard it all, right? They, you know, and, and you'll have questions that they'll answer that, or they'll have questions that they'll ask that'll make you be like, I'm not sure. But look, your job is not to defend the Bible. 
Some of y'all need to take that burden off of yourselves. Not that, you know, you don't study. Okay, you can clap. I like clapping. Go, go, go for it. No, but it's like not that, not that you don't study and not that you don't try to learn stuff, but at the same time, defending the Bible is not your first responsibility. Your first responsibility is to tell about what Jesus has done in your life. So don't let what you don't know keep you from telling about what you do know. Don't let what you don't know, well, I don't know the Romans road, I don't know the revelation, the seven bowls of wrath, are they to know, is it pre-millennium rapture, post-millennium rapture, mid a pop, you know, it's like all of, of this stuff that I think holds us down from just simply sharing and showing people the love and grace and mercy that Jesus has given you. You just tell and show others that and let that speak. And over time, if you want to study theology, do it. If you want to study the rapture, I don't know why you would, but do it. It's confusing because the bottom line is this. People can discount the Bible, but they can't discount what Jesus is doing and done in your life. Okay? They can discount the Bible. They can try to explain the Bible away all the time, but they cannot discount what Jesus is doing in your life. You know, in this culture, man, it's such a heated, like, disunified culture that is just built on bashing people and built on division. I mean, doesn't it just get sickening? Like, I literally can't stomach watching the daggone news, different news channels, because it's just all about bashing and putting down, and you go on Facebook, and it's like barfing, you know? It's like, I mean, it is, it is hard to stomach, and what I think, what breaks my heart is when you see Christians on there behind a keyboard trying to win people to Christ and bashing people and, and bashing people groups and, and it's just just like we've got to get away from this whole thing of of thinking just because we think we're right that entitles us to be jerks let me prove it to you first peter three now look it's funny in our culture we think persecution is somebody calls our faith fake i'm being persecuted look when when i was in albania earlier earlier this year, and you have Christians there, it's 99% Muslim. The, ho- the, ho- the hotel that we stayed at, there was a mosque built by Osama bin Laden. So we are staying at a hotel in a city of 200,000 people, there's 1,000 Christians that face persecution each and every day. And so we're over there, and obviously, you know, you, they, they said we were safe, we kind of felt safe, but coming from what, what I came from into their territory, I, di- I didn't feel safe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, but, but it was like I, like, I really felt like if I talk about the name Jesus, I don't know who's gonna be there, who's watching on me, who's spying on me, but that was kind of the mentality and the way things were back in Jesus's day and back in the disciples' day. In 1 Peter 3, this is what Peter instructed churches on how to handle when you're sharing your faith with other people. Get, get this. Like, I think this is what we need now. Like, yes, like it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness 
and respect. This is the Apostle Peter saying, let me tell you how to share your faith. Get a bullhorn, stand on the corner, and say God hates people groups. Get a bullhorn and yell at people how much God hates them. Yeah, do that. No, that's not what Paul said. Excuse me, Peter said. Peter said, when you share your faith, you know how I want you to do it? I want you to do it with gentleness and respect. And I want to encourage every one of us here as you're telling, and as you, you know, you'll have friends and family and people on Facebook, they'll, they'll try to tell you a bunch of stuff. But I, I, I want to tell you, your first job is to tell about what Jesus has done in your life. But when you do that, do it with gentleness and respect. And what I love Peter here, he's basically implying that be ready to give an answer. So basically saying, you won't even be the one bringing it up. They'll bring it up because of the way they see you living. So be prepared to give an answer. Be prepared to give a response for the hope that you have. In other words, for the way you're living, why are you living like this? Why are you the one that consistently and freely forgives people? Why are you the one generous? Why are you the one believing in people when everyone else has given up? Why do you consistently are the ones opening your household to complete strangers? What is it about your life that drives you to put yourself in harm's way to help somebody else? What is it about you? And then it says this, be prepared to give an answer, be prepared to testify and tell about why you're living the way you are. But then do that with gentleness and respect. I believe the most powerful tool that a teller has isn't their talk, it's their walk. Y'all, the world is sick of Christians talking. Jesus, Jesus. And they're sick of it because we talk, but we don't walk it. And y'all, that's what I want us to get, is, is that, you know, I think in our church, there's kind of been this whole spirit of don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. Just don't judge me. And people in the church just have this whole thing of don't judge me. When honestly, Many times when you feel people are judging you is they're trying to give you a thought of maybe what you're doing is, isn't, it's not putting forward the name of Christ. Maybe, maybe what you're doing is maybe taking the reputation of Christ down a notch. So I think, y'all, people in the church, people that follow Christ, we've got to instead say, stop judging me. When, honestly, Paul said this. Paul, the crazy thing that Paul said is, we, honestly, we should be judging people inside of the church. Why? Because we want, the, we, 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 we want Christ's name and Christ's reputation to be the most important thing. Paul said this. I've got a right to do a bunch of different things, but I will take away, I will stop doing those things if it in any way takes the name of Christ and bashes it down. That's why I think, you know, I'm not going to say that, but I just believe, man, we need to make sure that we don't put any stumbling block in someone's way to receive Christ. And I, and I believe that the church, the people of God, we need a rebranding. Not that the gospel changes. The message doesn't change. 
but the branding should. Think about a brand symbol that you love. When you see that symbol, what comes to your mind? When I say the church needs a rebrand, unfortunately, when many people hear the word church, their first implication is not good. What's it going to take? Judgmental. Condemning. Hypocritical. How many people I've talked to in, in, in the city that have given up on church, not because they don't like Jesus, but because of the people in the church who say one thing but do something else. Y'all, this is not a game. And my prayer is that our hearts would be open to receive correction, open to receive loving feedback on our lives. Why? So we can make the reputation and name of Christ known and that it won't be slandered and that it will not be maligned. Many people need to experience the people of God before they actually experience God. Many, and, and really the saying is this, people need to belong before they believe. See, that, that is why in our church, we don't care where you're at on your spiritual journey, there is something for you here to do. Because here's the thing, we know this. Many people have been hurt by the church, scarred by the church, I mean, wounded by the church. I, the, some of the stuff that I've heard churches do has, I'm, I'm, I mean, just absolutely insane of what they're doing to people's hearts and people's souls. And people have turned their back, not on Jesus, but they've turned their back on the church. And I believe this, that we need to rebrand. And we, we need to say, hey, look, this is what actually matters. You know what? Paul Something he was really, really good at is taking complex stuff and bringing it back and, and bringing it back to what actually mattered. And what we actually see here in Galatians 5, 6, whenever he was talking to, to the Galatian people and he was talking to them saying, hey, look, I know you guys think that you're more spiritual because you're into Jewish rituals, customs, and laws and stuff like that. And you think by doing those things, it brings you closer to God, but let me actually tell you, doing those things actually doesn't do nothing. Let me actually tell you what actually matters. And Paul broke it down like this. He said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He did not say the two things, the three things. The only thing that counts is a faith, a trust in God that expresses itself in the way we love people. In other words, saying the physical representation that there has been a spiritual encounter in your life, the physical expression of that is not how well you can articulate the faith. It's not how well you can explain the book of Genesis. It's not how well you can explain the rapture. What shows in the way that you had had an encounter with God is in the way you love people. I think this is what the world needs. This is what the city needs. This is what our church needs. We need to become less about talk and more about walk. Because God, I mean, for real, in, in the city, there's probably not a lot of people in the city that haven't heard the name Jesus or haven't heard the word church. Whenever I talk to someone about, church, yeah, I went to the church growing up. 
four years old, you know, went to church, left after high, you know, left right after high school. But I believe the greatest tool we have isn't what we say, it's what we do. You want to talk about a testimony? What this world needs is a testimony of people that don't just bark it, but live it. James chapter 2, 14 through 18. Worship team, y'all can come back up. We're going to close. We, we got to close up. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. James here, man, he is, and look, if, 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 look, like y'all need to read the book of James. I know y'all are, y'all are busy, okay? I know, you know, y'all got a lot of stuff going on, but just get the Bible on your phone and just read the book of James. Like, it, it, is, it, is, it is such good stuff. But James said this in James chapter 2. He said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? In other words, what good is it if someone claims to love Jesus but doesn't actually show it? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you guys says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, hey, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. What he's saying here is, y'all, Satan believes. Satan believes in God. It's not belief. It's not just belief that saves us. It is belief in God that expresses, faith that expresses itself through our actions. And what he's saying here is some of y'all have faith, some of y'all have deeds. He's not saying, this is not just either or, this is both and. It's not just share the love of Jesus or show the love of Jesus or show the love of Jesus and share it. It's like, no, it's not either or, it's both and. And I just think, church, we've got, my, my heart for this church is that we would be a church full of tellers. Not that we know everything about the Bible. Not that you guys, you know, I'm not saying don't study the Bible. Study it, learn it, grow it. Scripture says study to show yourself what? Approved. Study, yes, study, study, study. But at the same time, don't let what you don't know take away from you sharing about what you do know. If Jesus has impacted your life, if if you know the depth of your sin and the depth of God's grace, share it. You never know who needs to hear it. And do you know what? Sharing will make you even more appreciative of it. Because like I said, I believe some of of you today, you need a fresh encounter with the gospel. You've been in church a long time, and it's kind of come to this whole thing where you feel like you're stale in your faith, and you almost have that, well, I just need something more spiritual. I just need something more, a deeper revelation in God's word. No, you need a re-revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when you were far off and deep in your sin, Jesus came and lived the life you couldn't live and die the death that you should have died in your place and for your sins. And you've been brought close and near to God. You need a re-revelation of that. Some of you here, you need a first-time revelation of that. Where maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you got hurt by the church. And today, though, is going to be your moment to start a relationship with God. But 
all of my Christians here. I believe that God is calling our church to be a church of tellers. That don't tell to be loved by God, but tell because of God's love. That don't tell out of guilt. See, and that's what separates us. The cults, they've got to go share. Like, if as a God the mother person, you don't go out and try to talk to other people and target, you won't be saved. Mormons, you've got to have a mission. If you don't, you're not a real Christian. And although I don't agree with that, I respect that. But at the same time, we don't share to earn anything from God. We share because of God's love. Do you see the difference? 1 John 3, 16 tells us this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. So because of Jesus' example of laying his life down for us and what he did for us, that's how we know what love is. So we go and tell and share and show and tell about the love that God has. Stand up, church. I just want to pray. My heart is that me, you, us would become tellers. Not that we know everything and tell everything, but that we're prepared to tell others why our lives are so different. And if they're not different, take a heart check, a heart pulse today, and say, why does not my profession match my actions? Why does my actions not match my profession? The people would ask, why are we so full of love? Why, when we fail, are we the first ones to ask for forgiveness? Why are we the most generous people on the planet? Why, when everybody has given up on somebody, we stick with them and believe the best? My heart is that through the way we live, people would ask us, and we would be bold, passionate, authentic, real tellers that share about what Jesus has done. Not to earn anything, but because of his love for us. Father God, we come before you today asking God that we'd have a deep revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would, by your Holy Spirit, have a new revelation, a fresh revelation of what we've been saved from, that it would empower us to tell, it would propel us to tell our family, our friends, our coworkers, not in some weird way, not in some sales pitch way, not in some, if you died right now, where would you spend eternity at? But in a normal everyday way, just as Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well getting a drink of water, that in our daily lives, you would set up divine appointments for us to share and show the love of Jesus. That even as we meet a physical need, you'd give us the opportunity to meet a deep-rooted spiritual need. Make us aware, God. Make us aware of the world around us, the hurt, the pain. And God, empower us by your Holy Spirit to share and show and tell. Really quick, with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe today you say, John, look, I need, I, I need to make the first step. I've never accepted Jesus. I've never made a conscious decision or choice. Maybe you grew up in church, but maybe you, you just said, bump it. Maybe you've never been to church. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ and, stay, and take a step of faith to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did today. And I want to say that today is your day. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, John, today I want to start a fresh new relationship with God that is not based on what you've done, but on what Christ did. 
isn't based on your good works, but his good, good work and what you simply do is receive it by grace through faith, meaning you can't earn it and you simply receive it. You put your trust and faith in what God did. And what does that do? Scripture says this, that if anyone that is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. You start fresh and a new relationship with God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, John, today, I wanna to start that, that relationship. What I'm gonna ask you to do, look, is we're gonna have everybody pray. And as we pray, if you would say, John, I wanna make that choice. Everyone's gonna pray, we're all gonna join in. And as you pray in your heart, I want you to pray those words with everything you have and believe it. And I believe this, scripture tells us this, that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. I believe as you pray those words in faith, there will be an exchange inside of your spirit and soul that today you will have a new heart, a new spirit, and a fresh start with God. Everybody pray with me. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I thank you for giving me your life for willfully laying it down for me. I receive your forgiveness today. I receive your grace today. I receive your love today. And I pray that the, the, the gospel would sink into my heart and change me and empower me to tell other people what you've done. I receive today new life in Christ because of what you did. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Lifehouse fam, can we just give it up for anyone that said that prayer? Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kill Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.